All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to task myself this morning with really uh, a mission impossible because I'm going to preach to you what I believe from the bottom of my heart is the most important subject in all the Word of God. Now, I realize when I make a statement like that, uh, you could argue for some other things, but I think you would agree when I introduce the subject this morning, there is no subject more important than this. So please pray for me because um, anytime I try to preach on something of this magnitude, uh, there's always a sense of inadequacy that, that, that sort of takes over. But uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, and without controversy, Paul said there's, there's no doubt, there's no argument here. He says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. I want to talk to you this morning on the deity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ the most important subject in all the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, help us now. Uh, again, I've already expressed it. You know my heart. And uh, Lord, if you don't do something here, if you don't magnify your Word, if you don't speak to us, um, I, I, can't, I can't do anything with this, Lord. I'm, I am but flesh. I have feet of clay. And I, I'm so reminded of the weakness uh, in, in relative to my ability to, to get this truth across. Lord, it's, it's your word, it's your truth, and ask that you would just get all over this, and for your sake, not mine, not ours, but for your sake, that your name might be lifted up, magnified, and glorified. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. A number of years ago, I was at the hospital for one reason or another, and I, I ran into a young lady that I had the opportunity to give a track to and start witnessing to her. And, and I remember she was in college, and she was very interested, and probably because of her line of studying, but he was, she was studying religions. And uh, I remember discussing things with her, and, and she put it to me this way. She says, I'm studying Buddhism. I'm studying this system. And she was looking at it that way, and, and she was finding things in it that she enjoyed. And I, and I said, well, let me say this to you. I said, I am not going to tell you about a system today. I'm going to tell you about a person. And I, I, thought, of, I thought of that story. Her first name was Michelle. I'll leave it there. Uh, by way of prayer, I do have her last name, so I can pray for her. But, but God knows who she is. Please pray for Michelle. But I, I thought of that, and I thought of, isn't it wonderful that as Bible-believing Christians, we have a relationship not with a system, but with a perfect Savior, the Son of God, the Lord of glory. And, uh, you know, when you look at systems, you inevitably end up looking at people. And when you look at people, you're going to see faults, amen? You're going to see faults. You're going to see problems. You're going to see uh, mistakes made. And you won't see that in Jesus Christ. And so in the old days, the old preachers used to say, preach Christ, preach Christ, just lift up Christ. And so if you'll pray for me this morning, that's what I'm going to attempt to do. Uh, 
Great is the mystery of godliness. God. God was manifest or made known in the flesh. It's an important subject. As I've already stated, I believe it's the most important subject in all of the Word of God. When we read in John chapter 5, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. When I look at this portion of Scripture, I see Christ in judgment. I see Christ in glory and honor. I see Christ our salvation. 2 Corinthians 5 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Folks, nothing is more important to our faith this morning. Nothing is more critical or necessary to our faith this morning. Nothing is more essential or central to our faith this morning. Nothing is more pivotal or irreducible or non-negotiable to our faith this morning. Christopher Hitchens is an atheist that goes around the country arguing against the Bible and against Jesus Christ. And he was being interviewed by a Unitarian minister, a woman named Marilyn Sewell. In the course of the conversation, she said this, The religion you cite in your book is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. She goes on to say to Hitchens that I'm a liberal Christian, and I don't take the stories from the Scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, and uh, that is that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Then she goes on to ask him this question. Do you make the distinction between fundamental faith and liberal religion? Here's what Hitchens said, and he got it right. He nailed it. He said, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead by his sacrifice for our sins, then you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. <laughs> I mean, here's a guy that opposes the things of God, but he gets it. He gets it, folks. Uh, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, uh, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. How important is it, folks? It's everything. Number two, if you'll take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter uh, or, or excuse me, Second John. If you take your Bibles and go to Second John, just before the book of Revelation, I want to talk to you for a few minutes on the attacks, on the attacks against the deity of Jesus Christ. In Second John, verse seven, this short 
one chapter book. We start in verse 7, and the Bible says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Now notice what he says. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. He goes on to say, uh, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. In other words, don't encourage him in what he's doing. Okay? Somebody knocks on your door and says, we're from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. We don't believe Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. You don't encourage him. You know what you do? You witness to him. You tell him how to be saved. That's what you do. You don't say, hey, good job. Keep it up. Go see my neighbor. <laughs> That's exactly what he's saying. And, and by the way, it, he's being very clear here. It's, uh, if you look at verse 11, look what he says further. He says, for he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Where does John draw the line? John draws the line at the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look, if somebody believes that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and somebody believes that he died for our sins and rose again. And somebody believes salvation is by grace through faith. I can get along with them even if we've got some other differences. He might believe in speaking in tongues when I believe that that time has passed because of the completion of the Bible. But if he's preaching the gospel, I can still bid him Godspeed. We might differ on our eschatology. And by the way, when it comes to eschatology, there are certain things that are hard to be dogmatic about because, to be honest with you, when it comes to eschatology, a lot of times we see through a glass darkly. And I might differ with him on certain particulars of the tribulation period or, or, or the second coming of Christ, but if he's preaching Jesus Christ, the person and work of Christ, as it is in the Bible, I can, I can be good with that. I can have fellowship with him. I can encourage him, and hopefully he'll encourage me. But where does John draw the line? John draws the line at the person and work of Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul said about it in Galatians chapter 1. He said, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now, folks, that word accursed is akin to being damned. That's strong language. And then in case we didn't get it the first time, he repeats it in the next verse. He says, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul is very strong on this. And so uh, the liberals will talk about the Christ, but then they'll deny his virgin birth. And they'll talk about him as some sort of revolutionist or at best a moral teacher while denying the fact that he was God 
and that folks, he claimed to be God. He didn't mince any words about it. In fact, C.S. Lewis, when he talked about the Lord liar or lunatic theory, and here's what he said. He said, when somebody makes the claims that Jesus made, that he was God manifest in the flesh, that he was the creator, that he was one with the Father, he said there's only three things you can conclude. You can either conclude, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> that he knew he wasn't those things and he's lying about it. And that would make him a liar. Or he didn't know he wasn't those things and made those claims, which would make him a lunatic. Or he is who he said he is. God manifest in the flesh. There aren't any other options. To say, well, he was a good man and a wonderful man. He just wasn't everything he claimed to be. That option isn't there for us. To which Lewis says this. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Let us not come up with this patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He never intended to. Folks, he is a great teacher. But if he's a great teacher, then he's everything he said he was as well. Religionists. Islam includes Jesus. They simply make him a prophet. But they deny his claims to deity. The Buddhists consider him an enlightened teacher. But again, deny his claims to deity. deity. Um, Catholicism, oftentimes with Mariolatry, makes him uh, a co-redeemer with Mary and Mary a co-redeemer with him, folks. Christ didn't leave us that option. He said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Then there's the Christ of present-day culture. The Christ of present-day culture. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, uh, you know, Jesus said to his disciples one time in Matthew chapter 16, he said, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, some say that you're, you're John the Baptist, others that you're Elijah, some Jeremiah, some another prophet. Uh, you ask people these days about who Jesus is. Uh, there's the Democrat Jesus. He's against Wall Street, and he's for reducing our carbon footprint, and he's for printing money. Then there's the Republican Jesus, who's against tax increases and activist judges, and he is for family values, and of course, he's for the Second Amendment. <laughs> then there's the therapist Jesus, who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are, and not to be so hard on ourselves. Then there's a Starbucks Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. <laughs> there's the open-minded, oh, there's plenty of them, folks. 
There's the open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time, no matter, except for people who are not as open-minded as you and I. (laughs) Then there's touchdown Jesus. He helps athletes run faster, jump higher than non-Christians. And he determines the outcome of Super Bowls. Then there's the martyr Jesus, who was a good man who died a cruel death so we can feel sorry for him. Then there's a gentle Jesus who was meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, walks around barefoot, wearing a sash, looking very Irish. (laughs) Then there's the hippie Jesus who teaches everyone to give peace a chance, imagines a world without religion, and helps us to remember that all you need is love. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. But let me tell you something, folks. The Jesus of current culture isn't the Jesus of the Bible. And we can't make up a Jesus that suits our purposes. The Jesus of the Word of God is and was the Lord of glory. Let's look at this also in John chapter 14. And let's look at it as a great truth. John chapter 14. And again, I I have to say to you this morning, you know, there are times where you hear preachers say, And I've said it, this is an important subject or that's an important subject. And we may overstate it, we may understate it. But I'm going to say to you this morning, there's no way that I can overstate the importance of the deity of Jesus Christ. John chapter 14 and verse 1. Jesus speaking himself. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Then Jesus goes on to say, if ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, watch what he says, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the father. How sayest thou then, show us the father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Folks, no religious leader on the face of the earth in any time in history has ever made those kind of claims, period. No one has ever done it. Uh, People have lifted up different religious leaders like Buddha and Muhammad and Confucius and so forth, but none of them ever made the claims that Jesus made. Imagine, Imagine any other religious leader saying, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Folks, that's God talking this morning, because no man can do that. Jesus Christ, 
the Lord of glory. In John chapter 10, he says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Then he goes on to say, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. How many of you are old enough to remember the old commercial with Allstate that says you're in good hands with Allstate and had those hands out there like that? Remember that? They had a little image of a house and uh, you know a dog and a family there. You're in good hands. Folks, you're in good hands with Jesus Christ. You're in good hands with the Father. You're in good hands with the Son. And Jesus says, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. John chapter 20, the Bible says, And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Folks, Jesus did not rebuke Thomas. He didn't say, Thomas, you're overstating it. Thomas, you didn't get it right. He got it right, folks. My Lord and my God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, the Father addresses the Son as God. Isaiah chapter 9, we just came through Christmas season. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Ralph Waldo Emerson, who himself was an agnostic, said this about Jesus. He said, the name of Jesus is not so much written as it is plowed into the history of the world, and men never tire of reading about him. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. We get to the book of Colossians, and when you read the book of Colossians, you see four chapters, the theme of which is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Why so? Because in Colossians 1, verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now, we live in this day and age where, you know, every sermon's supposed to solve one of my earthly problems. Let me suggest to you this morning, if you're a believer, if you're a believer here and you know Christ, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. All right. Let me say this to you. When you keep this in perspective, the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that everything is by him, through him, to him, for him, and about him, and in the end for eternity with him. You know what it does to all of our problems in this life? It starts to shrink them, folks. 
I don't care what the problem is. In the end, if you get your eyes on him and realize that in the end, it is all about him. And if you're saved here this morning, you are sealed and in him and you're in the Father's hands, and you're in the Son's hand, and they are one, and you are safe in Him, and in the end, you're going to end up in heaven with Him for all eternity. It takes all those big, ugly, monster problems in our lives and shrinks them down to manageable size. Folks, I got to say it. The more I realize the magnitude of who He is, the more I realize how matchless his grace truly is, that he would condescend to even do business with me, much less save any one of us. And then on top of everything else, give us a part of the action. I'm working on this lesson we're doing on the Bible character sketches, and we're talking about the 12 apostles. Folks, you talk about, you could easily say in the beginning, uh, be, before they really got, before they really got on track and got their footing, you could really say it was the twelve stooges. Okay, just by way of example, Jesus has got them there at the Last Supper. Jesus got them there at the Last Supper, and he's talking about how somebody there is going to betray him. And while he's talking about that, you know what they're arguing about, among other things. He's talking about being betrayed. He said, the hand of him that betrayeth me is at the table. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. <laughs> Folks, but when they got their eyes on him, it transformed them. Until it was said in the book of Acts, those that have turned the world upside down are come hither here also. Amen. Amen. I think in Isaiah chapter 7, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God, what majesty, with what mystery, us, what mercy. And so we come back to our original text, and if you would turn there, please. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. If you're saved here this morning, that's the one that lives inside of you today. Paul said in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In 1 Corinthians 15, he's the last Adam. In 1 John chapter 2, he's the advocate. In Revelation 1, he's the Almighty. In Revelation 1, he's also the Alpha and the Omega. In Revelation 3, he's the Amen. In Genesis 16, he's the Angel of Jehovah. In Psalm 2, he's the Anointed. In Hebrews 3, he's our Apostle. In Isaiah 51, he's the Arm of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 5, he's the Author. In Revelation 22, he's the beginning and the end. In Revelation 3, he's the beginning of the creation of God. In Matthew chapter 12, he's the beloved. In Matthew chapter 3, he's the beloved son. In 1 Timothy 6, he's the blessed and only potentate. In Zechariah 6, he's the branch. In John 6, he's the bread. 
In Matthew 25, he's the bridegroom. In Revelation 22, he's the bright and morning star. In Hebrews 1, he's the brightness of the Father's glory. In Hebrews 2, he's the captain of our salvation. In Matthew 13, he's the carpenter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he's the chief cornerstone. In the Song of Solomon chapter 5, he's the chiefest among 10,000. In Isaiah 9, he's a child. In John 6, he's the Christ. In Luke chapter 9, he's the Christ of God. In Luke chapter 23, he's Christ the chosen of God. In Acts chapter 9, he's Christ the Son of God. Do you see what Colossians is talking about, him having the preeminence? In Luke chapter 2, he's the consolation of Israel. In Isaiah 9, he's a counselor. In Isaiah 42, he's a covenant. In Luke chapter 1, he's a day spring. In Romans chapter 11, he's the deliverer. In Haggai chapter 2, he's the desire of nations. In John 10, he's the door. In Isaiah 42, he's the elect. In Matthew chapter 1, he's Emmanuel. In Isaiah chapter 11, he's the ensign. In Isaiah 9, he's the everlasting father. In Revelation 19, he's the faithful and true witness. In Hebrews 12, he's the finisher of our faith. In Hebrews, or excuse me, in Revelation 1, he's the first and the last. In Hebrews 1, he's the first begotten. In Revelation 1, he's the first begotten of the dead. In Romans 8, he's the firstborn among the brethren. In Colossians chapter 1, he's the firstborn of every creature. In Hebrews 6, he's our forerunner. In 1 Corinthians 3, he's our foundation. In Zechariah 13, he's our fountain. In Proverbs 18, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In John 4, he's the gift of God. In James, he's the glory. In Luke 2, he's the glory of Israel. In Mark 2, he's God. In Matthew chapter 19, he's the good master. In Matthew chapter 2, he's the governor. In Revelation 19, he's the head. In Hebrews 1, he's the heir of all things. In Hebrews 3, he's our high priest. In Psalm 16, he's the holy one. In Colossians chapter 1, he's the hope of glory. In Luke 1, he's the horn of salvation. In John 8, he's the I am. In Hebrews 1, he's the image of God. In Matthew 1, he's Jesus. In John 18, he's Jesus of Nazareth. In Acts chapter 10, he's the judge of all. In Acts 7, he's the just one. In Luke 19, he's king. In Psalm 24, he's the king of glory. In Revelation 19, he's the king of kings. In Zechariah 14, he's king over all the earth. In Revelation chapter 5, he's the lamb. In John 1, he's the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. In Isaiah 55, he's the leader. In John 14, he's the life. In John 1, he's the light. In Isaiah 16, he's light everlasting. In John 8, he's the light of the world. In Isaiah 42, he's the light of the Gentiles. Praise the Lord for that. In Revelation 5, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the living bread, the living stone. He's the Lord, according to Matthew chapter 22. He's the Lord from heaven, according to 1 Corinthians 15. He's the Lord of glory, according to 1 Corinthians 2. He's the Lord of hosts, according to Isaiah 44. He's the Lord of Sabaoth, Matthew chapter 12. He's the Lord of the living and the dead, Romans chapter 14. He's the Lord and Savior, Luke chapter 2. He's the Lord our righteousness in 
Romans chapter 5. He's a man in John chapter 19. He's our master in Matthew chapter 23. He's our mediator, Galatians 3. He's the Messiah, Daniel 9. He's the mighty God, Isaiah 9. He's the morning star, Revelation 22. He was a Nazarene, according to Matthew 2. He's the offspring of David, according to Revelation 22. He's the only begotten of the Father, according to John chapter 1. You got a little more time? He's our Passover in 1 Corinthians 5. He's the great physician in Luke chapter 4. He's a plant of renown in Ezekiel chapter 34. He's the potentate. He's the power of God according to 1 Corinthians 1. He's the precious cornerstone, Isaiah 28. He's our priest, Hebrews chapter 7. He's a prince, Acts chapter 5. He's a prophet, John chapter 7. He's our rabbi, John chapter 1. He's our redeemer, Job 19. He's the resurrection, John 11. He's righteous, 1 John 2. He's a righteous branch, Jeremiah 23. He's a righteous servant, Isaiah 53. He's a righteous judge, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's our rock, 1 Corinthians 10. He's the root, Romans 15. He's the root of David, Revelation 5. He's the rose of Sharon, Song of Solomon 2. He's a ruler, Micah chapter 5. He is our sanctification, 1 Corinthians 1. He's our savior, Luke chapter 2. He's the scepter, Genesis chapter 49. He's the second man, 1 Corinthians 15. He's the promised seed, Genesis chapter 3. He's the seed of Abraham, Galatians 3. He's the seed of David. He's the servant, Isaiah 52. He's the shepherd and bishop of our souls. We got a little more. He's Shiloh, Genesis 49. He's the son, Colossians 1. He's the son of the father, 2 John 3. He's son of the blessed, Mark chapter 14. He's son of the highest, Luke chapter 1. He's the, he, he is the son of the most high God, Mark chapter 5. He's the son of God, Matthew chapter 8. He's the son of man, Matthew chapter 8. He's the son of David, Matthew chapter 1. He was the son of Mary, Matthew chapter 1. He's the star, Numbers 24. He's the stone, Matthew 21. He's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings, Malachi chapter 4. He's a sure foundation, Isaiah 28. He's our surety, Hebrews chapter 7. He's a teacher, John chapter 3. He's the tried stone, Isaiah 28. He's true, Revelation 19. He's the true God, 1 John chapter 5. He's the true vine, John 15. He's the truth, John chapter 14. He's the very Christ, Acts chapter 9. He's the way, John 14. He's our wisdom, 1 Corinthians 1. He's the witness, John chapter 18. He is wonderful, Isaiah chapter 9. He's the word, John chapter 1. He's the word of God, Revelation chapter 19. And he was a young child, according to Matthew chapter 2. In all, he's Lord God Almighty. In all, he's my Savior. In all, he's Jesus Christ. And God's word gives him preeminence. And we would all do well to do the same. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I really believe from the bottom of my heart we'd have to exhaust human vocabulary 
to do any justice to who you really are. You said in your word, Lord, that if all the things were written that you did just in your earthly ministry, that all, all the books of the world could not contain them. And so, Lord, we praise you, we glorify you, we honor you this morning with, with trembling voice, feet of clay, faulty hands, minds that forget and fail, hearts that betray us and you constantly. And so for, for what we're most grateful for this morning is that you're all that and so much more, and you love us because of your grace. By the grace of God, by the grace of God this morning, we could say with Paul, I am what I am. And we thank you for these great truths. Father, we pray for anyone here without Christ, that they would come to a saving knowledge of him and come and realize, Lord, if they miss him, they're missing everything. And we realize afresh and anew, Father, just how small the thrills of this life really are, the celebrities, the events, the things that man magnifies so much and thinks so much of are really nothing compared to the one that is by all things, through all things, of all things, and all things, Lord, ultimately will go back to thee. And Lord, we, we, we gladly, we gladly submit to that this morning. We gladly submit to your Lordship this morning. And we thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us and for your love. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 57. Number 57 as we sing together.
Okay, Brother Brigham, are you still here? I thought I saw you. Brother, would you come on up here? I'm going to ask you to close us in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we come before you with trembling. And Lord, uh, when we think upon you and all you've done for us, there's really no other option as, as uh, just created beings, Lord, that often we fail. And often, Lord, we, we feel like uh, the task is much too great before us. But Lord, thank you for the message this morning. Lord, thank you for being recharged with Jesus Christ and his name. We thank you, Lord, that you give us the power to tell others about Christ, even though we uh, come before this world in fearfulness, Lord. But Lord, you use the weak things, you use the things that are small and insignificant to confound, Lord, the world, the wise people of the world. And Lord, uh, one day in glory, we're going to see that it was our insignificance, our humility, Lord, our weakness that accomplished exactly what you wanted. May we go out today encouraged tell, and to tell somebody about Christ. Thank you for the people here that pray for the people in other lands, in other countries, millions, billions without Christ. And Lord, uh, we're un there's so many people unsaved in your time of coming is approaching. Lord, may we do all we can to live for thee. Thank you for the opportunities you grant us. Bless your people. May you give us strength and wisdom to make the decisions that need to be made this week. May we live for thee. May you dismiss us with your blessing. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.